0: Out of the park baseball is already the best baseball simulator out there and it's gotten even better with the release of their new perfect team mode. Perfect team is their foray into the ultimate team card collecting modes that have revolutionized the online experience for sports games. If you already have OTP 19 then you have perfect team. Just go to the home page and click perfect team on the right hand side and you'll begin with your six starter packs to build the team. And from there, you can choose to open more packs or dive into the robust auction house and use perfect points to craft the team that you want. The depth of players is truly amazing with a card for every player present on an MLB roster, as well as legendary throwbacks, like Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, like Darryl Strawberry, Larry Walker, Manny Ramirez, all the way down to novelty players like Bob Eucher and Snuffy Sternweiss. That's right. I said Snuffy Sternweiss. That's a real player. Once you have your team, you build your lineups, you build your rotation, you pick the strategy that you want. You want to run a small ball team. You want to be a full saber matrician. You want to be somewhere in between. You want to run an unorthodox. You can choose You know how often that you're stealing, how often you're using shifts, the slowness or quickness of the hook for pitchers and relievers. A lot of detail there that you can set for the team and how it will run during the simulations. Uh, and once you set all that, you submit your team, and the game simulates outcomes every 30 minutes from 9 a.m. to midnight central. Seasons run from Monday to Sunday, with every day of the week covering a month and then Sundays covering the playoffs. Will you make the playoffs and be promoted to the next level? Or finish with one of the worst records in the league and possibly face relegation down to a previous level? Download the game for just $20 at ootpdevelopments.com and use code SLEEPER19 for a 10% discount at checkout. That's ootpdevelopments.com. Hello and welcome to episode 647 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, February 19th. I'm your host, Paul Sporer, and I'm joined by Justin Mason and a special guest, a returning guest, Mr. Joe Pia, Gentlemen, how's it going? Excellent. People are spending a lot of money on baseball players, apparently, after all. Hey, we talked last time, not too long ago, about how we weren't really getting the moves, uh, we, we we actually finagled in some Machado-Harper chatter, and it, it spurred what has a lot of folks excited, by the way, our upcoming. This is not even the fixed baseball chatter. We're saving that until in into the season a little bit because uh, we've, st- we've still got so much to talk about with draft season. So this isn't even that episode yet, but we did get a little Machado-Harper talk back then. Now we have some fully-fledged Machado talk, but J- Justin, how are you?
1: Oh, uh, it's been a rough couple days, and uh, I got a sick kid, so if you hear some ambient noise or some crying in the background, I promise it's not me crying about Machado not signing with my Giants, <laughs> and uh, it, it's the baby monitor that's next to me as, as my sick kid sleeps in, uh, in the other room.
0: Yeah, Justin maybe in and out, Joe and I will will continue to fly the ship uh, if needed, if, if something like that happens. But we're gonna talk some of these moves that have been going on, some of the news that's starting to come out. You know, we get so excited about spring training starting, and then all the little knick-knack injury news starts to happen and and that becomes very frustrating right away. So it's like we we wanted this, but of course, once guys start playing and throwing the ball around and everything, injuries are gonna crop up. So we got some chatter there. And uh, and then we're gonna get back into the Black Book a little bit. We gave you a preview again a couple weeks ago. You can go listen to that episode. Maybe kind of if you're if you're new to the Black Book, but if you've already been around and you maybe already have not you're kind of looking for some next level stuff. We'll talk a little bit further there. But let's get into this Machado deal. He got his 300. He got a ten, 300 million dollar deal. I'm sure there's like. You know, f- after 52 days, he can walk away after, uh, you know, 419 days. he can. I'm sure there's a bunch of ridiculous stuff. I don't know all the details there. As we regularly talk about on this show with fantasy, we don't care so much about the uh, the ins and outs of the contract, just where they're going and why. So, Joe, I'll start with you. Manny Machado to the Padres, obviously a little bit of a shock. They'd been rumored on both guys quite a bit, but they fought and somebody big. Sorry, Eric Hosmer, you don't count. What do you think of Machado as a padre? Like what were your initial thoughts here? I love that little side
2: dig. On oh, Hosmer, I love it. Yeah. I think it's great. Um, but
0: you know what Hosmer is? He's kind of like that Jason Worth
2: kind of thing, right? Where you got to overpay on somebody to start to convince everybody else that you're serious. And I feel like that's. Not, I mean, the Nationals aren't the only organization. I feel like there's another one recently in the last year or two that did that same thing, where they they overpaid for somebody and everyone's oh. going, "What are you doing?" Right? I
0: yes, can't remember I c- off the top I of my head. The, I made the same exact comparison. I by the too. way, I, I think and, the Tigers kind of started it when when with Pudge and then they paid a, a hurt Maglio. Back when they were kind of yes. getting themselves together, so I I agree. Um, at least Worth really did kind of work out though, and I'm just not sure that Hosmer's necessarily. But I've always been a little bit anti-Hosmer. But you know they've got the great system. Um, the only big bummer about somebody like Hosmer though is it blocks off a key position to maybe send somebody who's like a, a bumbling outfielder, but a great bat or anything like that. You just you're blocked off at first base. It does. Machado, and Machado
2: was like a like a good clubhouse guy too. So that yeah. was the big
0: positive. Well, really they're bringing in find. somebody who knows how to win, he's been well, winning Hazard culture is too. And uh, right. he he gets accolades for that. So that uh, that's where the comp does continue to kind of hold up there. Uh but Machado obviously a little bit different. Not so much the clubhouse guy. Although I will say for all of the hate that he gets for the stuff that he did in the playoffs and it's deserved, you know the the clown behavior is just uh is is beyond ridiculous. Kicking the guys at first base. The stupidity of just saying you don't hustle when we know that a large percentage of particularly star players aren't going 100% for 162 because you, you don't need to. you're basically told to told not to by your team uh, because they don't want you running out a, a, a routine grounder in June to pop your hammy for six weeks. but you don't say it. You just kind of go about <laughs> it, you know? like you don't freaking. no, nah, I don't hustle. So you know, he brought a lot of this on himself. Machado did, but this is this looks like a pretty good setup here, and I I think it's a good move for both clubs. Uh, putting aside the fact that you know, three hundred million dollar deals are are scary on by their own nature, but fantasy wise, Machado as a Padre does this excite you? I don't. You know what? I look at this and I'm thinking to myself. Uh, normally, when you get these
2: deals, you get a situation where Typically, these guys tend to put a little pressure on themselves or a little extra pressure, you know, especially in that first half of a season. I remember Carlos Beltran with that big Mets contract. I mean, the list goes on and on. Josh Hamilton's. I mean, everybody, they, they tend to press a little bit. New town, new thing. The nice thing about Manny Machado is I think he's a complete and utter space cadet. So I don't think it's going to matter. I don't think it's going to matter at all. He's playing in San Diego, which is a town that they don't care. They're every I mean, it, everything is sunny in San Diego. It's great there. I would want to sign a $300 million contract and go lose and just play in
0: San Diego the rest of my life. That
2: sounds like a great idea to me. Well, that's
0: the thing. It's even if they weren't there. Even if they weren't on the come up, it's it's San Diego. But But the fact of it is they are widely regarded across the entire industry as, if not the flat-out best system, no oh, worse than the- top three. 100% uh, it, it top is, three.
1: it's yeah. easily the best system in, in the majors
0: it's and the the depth is so sharp too you're not betting on on two three guys that have to hit you've right. got backups just left and right here you got guys that are on the cusp this year but then you've got another set next year and then of course the, you have that 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 uh, tertiary set that's coming two three four years down the line as well so they're loaded for bear uh machado's going to play third so There was concern, you know, concerns about his defense are put to rest a little bit. Although I will say he got back on track defensively with with uh, uh, Los Angeles at shortstop. And what we know about the whole hustle thing does at least have me believing that uh, maybe he just didn't give a damn in Baltimore. And so that's why his defensive metrics hit the skids completely and then completely 180 when he made it out to L.A. I mean, that just doesn't seem unreasonable to craft that narrative for me. But um, obviously, regardless of his defense, he's going to play every day. Looks like he's going to bat two in between Kinsler and Hosmer right now. So it's funny, as much as we talk about their up and coming, that's three veteran players there that they've got at the top of the lineup. Um, Justin, kicking it over to you, does this move Machado at all one way or the other as far as where you were drafting him and where you drafting him? Let, let us know if, 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 where you're moving him from if you are.
1: I had him as kind of a back end of the first round or, or, or top of the second Kind of guy. I've seen him go as high as mid first round, and slip as, as low as kind of the mid second round. Uh, and I think that's fair. I think, like we talked about in the last episode, there is kind of this almost glob of talent that after pick two, really, there's a lot of a lot of different people you could put three through eighteen. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to really beat up anybody if they've got you know certain guys higher or lower because. It just It's just a really thick year in kind of the top 20 uh, in terms of talent. It, I it, think
2: it's the deepest. I even said it in the Black Book this year. I think this is the deepest first two rounds. That you can go 30 deep in a 15-team league and still be getting franchise quality players. And I don't yep. think I've – I haven't seen that in, I don't know,
0: two decades, maybe. No, yeah. I i would agree with that, especially because uh, some hitters get pushed down with pitching being pushed up. So then you are still getting um, – you know if you take that Scherzer at 4-5 – you're still getting a premium bat that falls to you just looking at he didn't take a picture but just looking at what jake seeley got picking four in labor mix last week harper came all the way back to him in the second round it was harper nola merrifield and severino were the last four of the second round that's nasty
1: yeah i just took uh machado in a dynasty startup league i think i had the 12th pick in or the 14th pick and i i i took him and then wrapped around and took Altuve 21. So uh, I felt pretty good about a dynasty startup where I'm getting Machado. Uh, And I think a lot of people, I think if anything, this will push him down for people because of the, the word Petco. Yep. Uh, And being on the Padres and and being afraid about their run production. I I don't worry about either of those things. Machado's got real manpower. It's going to play anywhere uh that lineup is actually not as bad as i think people are going to make it out to be so if there's any sort of dip because of this signing i'm going to be all over it
0: yeah i think i would be too and and we've talked about it in the past that petco is no longer the cavernous place that it used to be because of some of of the structural changes including that giant scoreboard out there changing things a little bit it's still more uh, more pitcher than than hitter as far as uh, where you want to be, particularly if you are a right hander, which Machado is. So you know it's it's no Boston, that's for darn sure, or Baltimore, excuse me, which is where he was uh, spending most of his career. And but I it's think not it's not that even, much
1: different than Chavez Ravine.
0: It precisely, precisely. And it, I'll tell it's you basically what, the too, same
2: Mason, you know, you hit it too. There, there's going to be people in your league that are going to overreact to the San Diego factor. They're gonna overreact and forget that there's still 81 games. Let them. That's exactly the advice I would say. Absolutely, let them. Let them overreact to it. And I mean, Machado's going around the turn now in most leagues, and that's still probably where he is. Maybe with the Lindor injury, you bump him up a little bit. But uh, look, there's enough. <clears throat> there's enough talent on this roster right now that he can still have something close to the seasons that he's had in the past. But I I told you, the the normal thing that always bothers me about these guys when they sign the big free agent contract is that early problem with adjustment to the new city, adjustment to trying to prove too much. Manny Machado is not that guy. He doesn't care. And I think this is where the non-statistical analysis comes in, where normally that would bother me, but with this guy it doesn't. Therefore, I'm just going to leave him alone and just expect pretty much Manny Machado. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my question to you is, do you think now that he's cashed in, Does he take this foot off the gas even further at all?
0: No, because here's the thing. You talk about the hustle stuff and all that, and if he doesn't say it, did anyone really talk about that with him before he said it? Because it's not evident in his his numbers in any conceivable way. The guy has four straight 33-plus homer seasons. Um, They'd probably all be 100 ribby seasons if he wasn't on the Orioles for, for all of them, so... As such, only one is 100-plus RBIs, but the other are 95, 96, and 86. Um, the stolen bases, you know, he has that one outlier year where it was just zero right after the 20. It was zero. Right. And uh, and then 9 and 14. So he's kind of in that, you know, 9 to 20 is a, a big range, but I think it's going to be somewhat similar. So, no, I, re- I really don't think, like, he doesn't want to suck. You and know, he's got an uh, opt
1: out after five it, years. Oh, yeah. So, I, I like was just going to say it. He, he just saw he, the same he thing. Can't, he can't like take the foot. Like he's, he, yeah. I don't think he's going to like, like turn into Pablo Sandoval and just eat himself <laughs> out of a job or anything. I think one, while he may not be Johnny hustle, dude puts in a ton of work, you know, outside of what's on the field. And, and exactly. I, I don't think that's going anywhere. And I think. I, I don't think he wanted to sign in San Diego. I think he is doing this because that's the place offering him the most money. That's and I think, got the 10, yep. Yeah, I think five years down Wasn't the road. Wasn't that the conversation
2: we had last time, too? I said yeah. that Manny Machado will sign wherever someone gives him the most money or overpays for him. And Harper wants the most money and a good situation because he's a weird competitive guy in that sense. And that's why he's struggling, because he doesn't look at that combination of things. He's not seeing that structure anywhere where he's super excited about going to that team because he thinks they're competitive and they're going to pay him an S load of money.
0: Yeah, I don't think he loves the Philly setup, which looks to be the kind of best setup right now for Harper. So
2: what's the uh, average Machado season? It's 90, 90, 30. I mean, that's and 282. That's basically that's basically
0: what you're getting. So, I mean, you know, that, that works for me. Hey, <laughs> throw in a handful of games in Coors Field now, too. Nah,
2: that's true. So, and like, yeah, if he steals nine bases, ten bases, great. You know, that's terrific. That's bonus.
0: I, I agree. I think all the stolen bases are, are bonus for, uh, for Machado. They're, oh, By the way, I was on the wrong page. I said 270. I was already on the Mustakas page, which is where we're going next year. You're right. 280 plus is, is the more reasonable expectation for Machado. Uh, let's move over to Moose. He goes back to the Royals. Or excuse me, goes back to the, the Brewers. But again, on a one-year deal, this guy, dude, what's he got to do to get a little security, for crying out loud? This is this is insane. I mean, he's not some superstar, but he's, he's just a consistent— And he's got to play second
1: base. They're, they're moving him to second uh, yeah. base. Yeah. That's, a, that's,
0: that's ludicrous. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I don't, that's don't understand. Right I, I think the Shaw at second base works a little bit more. Uh, I think he's a little bit more athletic. They're both kind of boppers, so it's hard to get your— your mind frame uh, of thinking about them as second baseman. But yeah, Moose is the one who's going to go to second Shaw back to third. Uh, but he gets, he gets back in this lineup. Corey Spangenberg, GTFO, you're, you're toast. Uh, you're, you're back to the minors. With Hira, or...
1: We'll see you later.
0: Keston Hira. You got plenty of time to season, which I, as excited as I am about him, and I, I saw him at the Arizona Fall League, and I, I even took him on my Arizona Fall League team. That's the the bias of being there and seeing the guy and then and then taking him within the top 23 rounds. I knew in my heart, even as I took him that it was an overdraft because he has 73 games in, in double A. In double A. No, he hasn't yeah. even hit triple. Hey,
2: ABA. I took him in labor with one of the last picks that I had just well, because at the time Mustakas wasn't even there. I, I'll I'll take here, Mike Mustakis is going to be playing third base for the Brewers because when they see his body type over at second base, they're going to realize that this is a horrendous idea and he's going to play there in the spring and it's not going to be good. And Shaw will be back there or some kind Shaw of configuration. I already
0: did it. You already did it. And move it was another, fine. Yeah. So it why not no just sense. keep him there?
2: That's Because what, I, I think I it's what they're telling Shaw to keep him happy about. Like, you know, we're sorry we moved you around and you've been the guy, but you know what? Like, eventually somebody's going to have to go to him and say, this is what's best for the team. Mike Mustakas is a bit of a roly-poly in that sense compared to some other guys. And he's just not –
1: Yeah, he's not going to be able to turn double plays. He's going to – it's going to be better for him when he gets to free agency. So – like, yep. Do you do you want to be a guy who hits thirty First home shot. runs? Yeah, at third base, or a guy who hits thirty home runs at second base? You're right. Because You're 100% there's a hell of a lot righteous. less guys doing it at second base. And as much as home runs aren't the end all, be all, sometimes they're big deal. Still, yeah, they're a big deal when it comes to Just free agency here. and arbitration and, and all that. So, like, I I don't know why someone hasn't gone. Hey, listen, I know you want to play third base. Uh, it's a more natural position for you. But this one is going to benefit the team, and it's going to benefit you financially. Yep. If, I, I if don't you're, understand moving yes, another guy. Uh, I, I think I think it'll get figured out uh, before the end of spring training. I, I I doubt Mike Moustakis plays enough games at second base this year to get eligibility to
0: qualify next year, or to even get eligibility this I think year because it's a lower threshold this year.
1: I mean, ten okay. games is. I mean, he ain't playing twenty games at second base. Okay, I'm getting next
0: year. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I think it's plausible he plays ten, but I just I think it's a really it's going to be a really hard sell unless I mean, Moustakis is a an athletic guy, so would it surprise me if he can handle it? And they were, you know, they ran out Jonathan VR, who was awful defensively at second base until the wheels just completely came off. So. Uh, I just, I I have a hard time. Yeah. I have a hard time understanding when Shaw actually played a decent second base. You
0: already had Shaw there. You you, you take another guy out of position and make him learn it. So maybe it is just a spring training thing to have him there to be back up if, if need be for Moustakis, but getting him back in that uh, Milwaukee lineup. I do like that for his fantasy value. Uh, perfectly cromulent, uh, third, Maybe (laughs) maybe they
1: trade Shaw.
0: Maybe, you know. Maybe. I mean, he should have some value on the market, but get, get then they would get pitcher. a more or a more prototypical middle infielder. Well, they've
2: got Hira. So why don't we question Hira at second base? It, you know what? If if that is the case in this, that's the experiment. And you're going to trade Shaw for a pitcher, then that's great because Moustakas goes slides over to third here whenever he's ready. If he tears a but cover I love off Shaw, April. Don't hey, why not? well but you know what you, you Saul, have a too. you have a depth there of offense and as good as that bullpen was last year you can't expect some of the some of the things that went right in that pitching staff to go right again well, i don't I understand think- why nobody gave mustakis last year a nice 3 to 4 year yeah, deal i don't either this- he, this is the prime of his years. He's a winning player. He's a guy that plays a decent third base. He's a guy that he's a rah-rah clubhouse guy. Yeah, there I mean, was a the reason why the Royals like won. The
1: clubhouse leader in these he absolutely was. I, 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 I don't,
0: don't get that. It's not, not a know, mistake but.
2: that he went to Milwaukee and they had a run. I yeah. mean, it is not an accident. And I think it's great that they brought him back. I don't understand why. I don't know if it's body type. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the metrics
0: and somebody up it's there the in the office. They
1: don't trust the beer, Joe. Well, that's ridiculous. <laughs>
0: You have a good I just, beard. I have a good beard. I don't get that at all. I don't know how this guy, how Mike Mustakas, can't get a multi-year deal because yeah. now he's going to be age 30 next year and it's right. it's only going to get harder as particularly if he doesn't get better because I mean again you're not going to go look at his numbers on his on his fan page and be blown away I'm not saying he's some superstar who deserves a mega deal but the three year deal you're talking about three and and 38 or something how the heck does he not get that I don't know but uh, I do like Moose back over there I, I, I like so many of their their offensive players in, in Milwaukee I have no problem up. stacking a... up Yep, yeah, I line... have no problem stacking up there guys on my team and by the way hot take rotation's going to be a strength this year bullpen's going to regress just because it's natural to bet on some regression after the bullpen was so great rotation going to be about, a strength this year
1: how about travis shaw as the centerpiece to a madison bumgarner deal they had he he's under team Ooh. control through 2021
0: And they still have some prospects
1: yeah i mean They're bond
0: is that enough guess. for you as a giants fan though Shaw, Dubon, and an arm. I mean, it's bum? either that
1: or let him go for nothing. Just whatever. Like, I, you know, he's a free what, what agent about, at the what end about, of this year. Who cares? What about like,
0: Shaw, Dubon, and Freddie Peralta.
1: I, I prefer like Corbin Burns. Like, well, Burn... of course
0: you would because he's better. Yes.
1: <laughs> Cor- Cor- at Corbin... first,
2: I thought you were going to say I prefer Corbin uh, Corbin Burnson. and I like was going to say I don't Burns, know if he's available.
1: Dubon and and Shaw for for Bumgarner and. I don't I don't know like a, another another piece of
0: Yeah, you might have to throw something else there if you're going to bump it up to uh, They love Burns, so I think Oh, uh, I think...
1: Will, uh Will Smith. Will,
0: Will Smith. Smith and there you go.
1: Baumgartner for Dubon, Corbin Burns and Travis Shaw. There you go.
0: Now that's something. That's something. We're making moves out here. But, but yeah. we got to move on. We got to head over and this is when we st- like I said we started to get the bad news but trickling I, in I, a little bit. I don't bit. want
1: to talk about this one.
0: Carlos so, Martinez not going to throw for 2 sad. weeks because of his shoulder. Also makes me sad. Big time, long time Carlos Martinez fan. I just want the best for him. But now opening day is a little bit in question. There's no structural damage, but it's already starting. One thing that I can say, given that we like him, Justin, is that uh, this will bring the price down.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He was already super cheap. I don't know why you guys are whining
0: about it. This is great. He's already done like six drafts
1: and got him in five leagues. It's like when,
0: when there's nothing, when there's like hardly anything coming out, these moves get overvalued so much uh these news bits i should say get overvalued so much Uh, i wish there was like an industry draft that was tonight just Mm -hmm. to see what would happen (laughs) Martinez, right on (laughs) the heels
1: yeah
0: i just like i want to see what happens uh joe i'll start with you because i know how justin feels but uh carlos martinez first off let's start with where you were before this is he somebody you liked and where are you now that you're hearing about this and and are you concerned that uh, you might be drafting a reliever if you take Carlos Martinez? Because remember, that's where he finished his season last year, albeit as closer. So there was still fantasy value. But how do you feel about Carlos Martinez on the heels of shoulder fatigue, putting him down for two weeks, no throw
2: well, I think, first of all, if he ends up as a reliever, he will end up as the closer again, because I think he's their best option. I think that's also the way to budget his innings the best, because you're giving him clean starts to innings. You're giving him, you know, three outs to get all this stuff. plus
0: it's, run leads, usually. Right,
2: you're giving him the best situation you possibly can, and you can manage when what days you're going to use him, if you use him in back-to-back days or not. So – To me, that's way better than him being a seventh or eighth inning guy and getting up and throwing a bunch of times and then sitting down and getting up and throwing again. That's definitely not what you want. So for me, this is great news. He's going to be cheaper. I own him in labor. So I'm in there with you. I'm in the I'm in the muck with you, boys.
1: Yeah, you and I have a a bet on him. We do. We do. You went against him. I,
2: well, I went against him for fun because I like good theater. <laughs> but anyway, the idea with Martinez is he's going to be cheaper now. So if he did love him, this is not a big deal, I don't think. If there's no structural damage in the MRI, then what's the big deal with two weeks? The first two weeks of the baseball season are a joke anyway because of the scheduling. So really, it's kind of like not having a fifth starter. So I, I this bothers me 0%. And I would absolutely be drafting him with even more excitability because I feel like now that he's cheaper, it's an even better investment. And if we are trending to the point where he becomes a closer, he automatically becomes, I think, one of those top top third tier. Right. He's one of those guys in the top third of that potential uh, spot as a reliever, as a closer. And I think that would be the smartest way to make sure you manage him properly
0: to make him healthy and keep him healthy the rest of the time. Boy, that that Carlos Martinez becoming the closer that would blow up some of my early stuff where I've got like uh I've got hicks I got I got some hicks shares already and uh, I've even backed it up with some Andrew Miller and Alex Reyes That's just I was trying to it. cut off all the angles there yeah apparently I don't know what the hell I'm doing Justin we know how you feel about Carlos Martinez and and what this does as far as um, as far as lowering his price and probably making you more interested if it is said that uh, he's not going to start for uh, an indefinite amount of time right they, they won't they won't put a time on the, the foreseeable future where would you be drafting Carlos Martinez then if you if they didn't say he would be closer just that he's going to relieve what would that do to uh, your your Martinez love
1: Oh I should probably like pull up an ADP or something while I, while I look at this and and kind of see. Uh, so let's see, we got starting pitchers. Oh, well, NFBC only goes by pitchers, so. Carlos yeah, Martinez
2: is 107 over on fan right now, so you're looking okay. at Charlie Morton is in that range, Robbie okay. Ray is in that range, and Brad Hand and Josh Hader right before him.
1: Yeah. He's ahead of Luis
2: Castillo, yeah, too. Yeah, he's
1: currently 125 at uh, on NFBC uh, in the Chris Archer, Tanaka, J-Hap range. Okay. I don't know that I drop him yeah i was just about to say (laughs) much farther i mean he'll drop in my own personal ranks because i had him as a top 20 starter so maybe he drops you know around 25 ish but that still puts him in that range where he's already going so i think while his price will undoubtedly drop because of this i'm still going to be willing to take him around pick 125
0: Yep, yep, I agree on that with Carlos Martinez. By the way, I'm going to correct myself on one thing that doesn't really matter. People probably didn't even hear it, but just in case, I said three-plus run leads. If he's closer, obviously it would be three or fewer runs. I just want to be accurate here. So uh, you don't really come in a lot with four-plus run leads if you're a closer. So just fixing that up there. That situation is really interesting, though, and and there could be some arbitrage in the closer situation because it is still kind of up in there. I don't even think people fully trust Hicks's. Hicks to have it even before this Martinez situation. We never see team we, we just haven't really seen teams outside of one time in New York give Andrew Miller the full role. And then of course Alex Reyes is lingering in a similar Martinez fashion where if he, if he's not healthy enough to be trusted to, to start, they might just put him in the bullpen as a potential closer. So this muddies that up even a little bit further with Carlos Martinez. If uh, he's in the
2: bullpen, Paul, he ain't a seventh, eighth inning guy. That is the worst thing you can do
0: with the. Well, I, I agree with your point about, you know, up and down, up and down. So That's I do a surefire think that- way to get this kid on the
2: DL or out for the year. That is a sure, I mean, that is like, you might as well just put that. I'll tell you what. If you get any of that news in the next couple of weeks, like that's their plan for him, then I would start shying away. That's the only way I'm shying away from
0: him. I, yeah, I like what you're saying with Martina. Well, by the way, speaking of Reyes, maybe that puts Reyes in the rotation. Then. That would be his rotation spot. Mm-hmm. Fine Perhaps. by me. So I yeah, think I, that's I, I, what's uh,
1: going to ha- end up I happening. Think I think he a lot, becomes a top five closer.
0: I think a lot of the pitching situation in St. Louis, outside of the guys you know are going to be there, like Michaelis and Flaherty and a healthy Waka – um is is just be confident in drafting skills not roles because you really don't know what the hell is going on with Martinez reyes hicks miller uh that that quartet there they're all very talented they're all fantasy viable But you just don't know exactly be, what you're gonna get so, I think you guys got gotta
1: be careful in your drafts and hold leagues because yes If, if, you if you're setting them
0: up as a one position, you might not get that position Yeah,
1: if you want him as a starter, he may not end up being a starter and that can have a drastic effect on your draft and hold. So if you're playing like best ball over on fan tracks or you're playing uh, NFBC draft champions, Martinez may be one of those guys that unless you're getting a gigantic discount, and I'm talking like pick 200 or something like that, you may want to just stick away from.
0: I, I agree. Speaking of bullpens, it's being reported right now. Red Sox chairman Tom Warner said Monday that it's quote un- extremely unlikely that the club re-signs Greg Kimbrell. So I got questions abound. <laughs> Where the hell is he going to go then? Atlanta. And what the hell are they going to do? That you're you're probably right there. But I hate agreeing the bigger, with you, but I do. Yeah, the yeah. bigger question would be, what's going on with the World Series champs bullpen here? And listen, I know that you know we as numbers saber saber guys, uh, you know, following analytics, understand that closers can kind of be cultivated. And and, you know, if Matt Barnes or Ryan Brazier ended up having a, a great season as closer, I wouldn't be uber surprised. I think it's less about putting one of them as the closer and more about the lack of depth in their bullpen. It, it's, it's not so much that I, I can't fathom how one of them is the closer. It's that that's pretty much all they got like that. That bullpen sucks for a repeat uh, for a, uh, a reigning champion. And I just don't know what the heck they're doing. So I, I thought Avino was the guy, Paul? Back. I, that would have
2: been such a good. That was for. so it would have been such a good signing. And when the Yankees did it to them, I thought, oh my god, or they Ray really Miller twisted back. the knife. Because yeah, but all- I can, and I, I, that's fine too. But there was something about that Ottavino sign where he was just laying out there for a I while. Agree. And the Yankees had an excess already in the bullpen with Britton and Chapman and Batances and Green and everybody else that they've got there. And it was just to me, it was the no brainer of bringing out a Vino. Then at least you have leverage in a Kimbrel discussion. That's the problem is they have no leverage in the Kimbrell discussion. So he wants to rake them over the coals. And this is the owner coming out and trying to give
0: them fake leverage. Exactly. (laughs) And by the way, I do. I want to say that you bring up a a perfectly great point just because he says extremely unlikely doesn't mean that they're fully out. Do not take this. And like It, it also doesn't right.
1: mean that they're not going to sign someone else for that closing job. I mean,
0: that's I think, true, too.
1: I mean, there's still plenty of relievers uh, with closing experience, if that's the way they want to go out on the market. Sure. Santiago Casilla, uh, Ryan Madsen is available. A.J. Ramos is still available. Uh, Bud Norris, you know, Clubhouse guy, Bud Norris. Um, you know, Bud
0: Norris such a cool <laughs> guy.
2: But Norris had a couple moments there recently too, where in that role he seemed. I always thought back when he was a Baltimore, I kept saying, "Man, why don't they make them. this guy a closer?" Right? <laughs> agree. I know. Agreed. I I wrote about him one year. I was like, "Why don't they put make this guy a closer? He can't hit the broadside of a barn, but he could throw the ball right through it. It's yep. the perfect role for him." <laughs> no,
0: I, I, to- I totally agree there. And and Justin does bring up some quality names there. So I, I again, I just well, my I wouldn't biggest call concern quality for them names, but is I, <laughs> they're not they're not too bad. It is depth that that's my biggest concern. That's why I thought. Kimbrel was a great fit. Less about whether or not Brazier or Barnes can do it, just about the fact that if Tyler Thornburg isn't healthy, uh, then then they've got the two guys really. That's it. So I don't know what they're doing over there, but we'll see. Uh, as far as Kimbrell's market, you mentioned Atlanta, that seems like a great fit for them. Of course, that would muddy up everything with the Erodis Viscaino and H&M Erasmo. Erasmo Ramirez? Oh yeah, that blocks off Kimbrell.
1: Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the basic.
0: reason. Where else? Where else could he go if it's not Atlanta, Joe? Wh- where else would you have Kimbrel going? Oh
2: my gosh! You know this is this is tough. I mean, it's, it's
0: a quiet market for him, man.
2: It's a quiet market now, and and it's looking at you know the the. I mean, I, the Phillies took care with Robertson. I mean, if they want, I'll tell you what. I'm I'm not Dude. necessarily in love with the Phillies staff. So if you want it to start building bullpen, back. What I'm saying is if you – the Phillies have all – they're like that, you know, like the the ugly dude with a $100 bill hanging from a zipper who just can't get laid. That's what the Phillies (laughs) are right now, and I feel like if Harper scorns them, they're going to have all this money, and the fan base is going to look around and go, well, what the hell did you do with all this money? And if you sign Kimbrell and then you have Robertson and Dominguez and all those guys in the bullpen, okay, well, maybe that
0: helps a rotation that has some questions in the three They're not
1: missing out on on Bryce. Harper's
0: going think I think they are going to get Harper, but I think that – that they said spend stupid money. Why not get Kimbrell, too? Yeah. I think that. I mean, that would they'd be loaded for bear at that point. And again, I'm just having a heck of a time really figuring out the spots that uh, that Kimberl can go. The you know, a team. I was just, I literally just clicked on their roster resource. Do you they really don't want, want the Cody? Cash though do I don't do you think really they can yeah, go. They it's not about to, a matter one. I don't think scratch they... for it. I, I, I see that's how I feel about fit. the Cubs.
2: The Cubs are the same thing. They got all this money tied into Lester and Darvish and all these other guys. And they, but
0: they're the fucking Cubs. I don't want to hear that. They <laughs> don't have money. Nothing pisses me off. More okay. Well, here's the sick. thing. Then the Cubs they're... crying poor.
2: It's not that they're crying poor. I think they also know the kind of extensions they have to cut. Co- they're coming through. Okay. Where Chris Bryant, some of these other guys, the young talent, where You're they're going to have to make some decisions. Your
0: park every single. If game. you
2: if you are the Chicago Cubs, I think you go and you throw a lot of money at Kimbrel on a one year deal and do it that way, and say here's that a here's simple. more than you would have gotten on a one year deal. Go out there next year
0: again. I think that would be very smart. But Actually, I don't let, think
2: they're going to do that.
0: Let me check my Rolodex. I have oh I have these Pedro pairs. Never mind. Cancel that. No no, no, no. I I do do <laughs> you and me both. I own the whole. Yeah, I, whole I got a lot of that. Pedro pairs right <laughs> now too. Uh, but no, I just I've been so. F- frustrated with hearing the Cubs of all teams crying porn. And you're right. They've got some extensions coming up that they're going to need to do with their superstars, but stop, stop. They can afford everything ever. They need to stop pretending like they don't have cash. I don't want to hear it. Uh, but Kimbrough's market still wide open. Uh, Boston maybe trying to feign that they're not going to buckle, but we'll see there. I, I agree with Joe that they're trying to build some leverage. That's a great call by you. Uh, last bit of news here before we get into some black book stuff. Nick sends out seems to be angling closer and closer to the center field job, despite not really having any experience. Well, not, I, I, I kind of soft pedal to that. He has no experience. He has no experience, <laughs> but major league athlete, you know, we've seen other guys learn, learn things like this uh, on the fly. So to speak, he's going to have a full spring training to kind of figure it out. I, I don't think it's, the most egregious thing ever to put somebody like Nick Senzel out in center field when he was a more than capable left side infielder, right? It's not like you're taking a basketball player and throwing him in center field or taking a, uh, a football player and making him a hockey goalie, right? It's baseball to baseball. I don't think it's the end of the world here. I'm intrigued by it too because it does in, in, enhance his path to the majors. So Justin, I'll start with you on this. With Nick Senzel, if he gets this gig, and and really does start now it would also build them cover to to do the old two weeks. Yeah, at least, exactly. Because he's not starting the in the majors. Bit. So um let's 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 assume that he doesn't start the season in the majors either way here with Senzel. But where are you taking him if this center field job is kind of just waiting for him? Because I don't think there's anything Scott Shevware can do to block him off if Senzel goes to the minors. Learns the footwork and throws and paths and everything and hits well in the minors. I feel like he'll be up in like a month. So where are you taking a five-month center field Nick Senzel?
1: About pick one seventy. Ooh, inside
0: the top two hundred.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. okay, I'm intrigued by that.
1: I think yeah, maybe maybe just inside the top two hundred in the Austin Meadows, Luriano. Hunter Renfro area.
0: Okay. Okay. Um, Tell me a little bit about what we should be expecting from his bat, because now we have, you know, last year was an injury washout, only 44 games. Great when he was there, like fantastic. 149 WRC plus uh, six homers, eight steals on 10 tries Is this a diverse, like, five-tool sort of fantasy guy here with the power, speed, average, and all of it?
1: Yeah, I don't think he's going to ever be a, like, off-the-charts kind of guy. Like, he's not going to be, like, a 30-30 guy. But I think there's a reasonable expectation that he could hit 15 home runs, steal 10-plus bags, uh, and hit 290.
0: I was going to say, is this a pure 300-type hitter? Because Sinzel has hit... Yeah. Um, he, outside he's... of one stop, a 10-game rookie stop where he hit 152. Who cares? His other levels have been 329, 305, 340,
1: 310. Yeah, I I, I think he is a future 300 hitter in that future, maybe now. So like I I have no issues with the hit tool. The only thing that scares me about Senzel is the vertigo issues. Yes. Like vertigo those... can be scary. Yeah, and and it can be hard to treat. And one thing of... I
0: will say though. It can also just go away and, mm-hmm. and be gone. But it's for a already good while. Re,
1: it's already reoccurred
0: once. True, true. So I that, have that go, and oh. I've only had a few bouts. Like when I first got diagnosed with it, and then I've been I've been good as gold. That's my one anecdotal experience, though, so it doesn't really mean anything. I'm just saying. Hopefully, that's what Senzel gets, because I want anytime I want every everyone to be healthy. Obviously, I don't root for injury in Except any way. For but uh, no, I don't root for anyone to be hurt. Not even Except guys I dislike. Um, I want Senzel though with this potential 70 hit tool, which is what what we give him on his page, and basically pluses across the board. 55 raw, 55 speed, potential 55 field, already a 55 throw. I mean, there's a lot to like here with Nick Senzel. And
1: a really great home park in a pretty damn good offense. Yeah.
0: Joe? Uh, let's get you in here on on the Senzel chatter here. Do you share Justin's rosy outlook, or or where where are you taking Senzel? Again, let's call it a five month Senzel and just wipe out April in your game plan and draft from there. Where are you taking Senzel? Well, first off, I'm a big Senzel fan.
2: Uh, I thought that he was the most major league ready player in that draft class that he was in. I thought he would already be in the major leagues by now, but obviously the injuries have been an issue. And the one thing I want to point out, Paul, is that sample size that you're talking about where he hit 300 everywhere and all this. and, And that is true. He's never played more than 70 games in any of those stops. So I always feel like when you see that, as great as it is to see a guy who's succeeding at that level. You also don't really get any adjustment period, too. So I always love when you get to see 120 games somewhere or 110, because I think those last 40, when people really start to get on what you do well and what you don't, Mm -hmm. that's a fascinating thing to see. I personally think that this is always tougher to move a guy from the infield to the outfield. And maybe it's because I lived through it as a Mets fan my whole life where I saw (laughs) I saw Todd Hundley go to left field and that was a disaster. I saw Keith Miller go to center field. That was a disaster. I saw Howard Johnson go to center field. That was a disaster. So moving guys, even if they're great athletes, out to the outfield from the infield is not always the easiest transition. But then there are guys like Mookie Betts. People forget Mookie Betts was a second baseman. Second baseman, yeah. But he is a freakish athlete. Mookie Betts can also dunk a basketball and run great wide receiver routes. And I don't know if you've seen the social media stuff, but the guy is a freakish athlete. Now, Senzel's very good, too. Bowling
0: is not a major part of athleticism, No, but he's but a an amazing bowler. He is and, an amazing bowler. Yeah. I, I do not want to leave out the bowling. I, I love bowling, so I'm always going to care I for I feel his, like uh, Senzel with
2: this thing, this is really – I agree with Justin where he's going in those kind of – Realms, I'd like him talent-wise upside way more than guys like Austin Meadows. It's not even
0: close. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. I do. That's really intriguing.
2: From a a talent-wise, I always found Austin Meadows to be very underwhelming. A guy who is always just fine everywhere at every every level. Whereas, Uh, Senzel is showing you power, speed, a lot of these things together. I think the Reds are a lot better of a team than people realize. I think Matt Kemp is going to play a lot more than people realize. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, I also feel like... Senzel, with this whole move, if he struggles in spring training, he might be in AAA longer than people realize until he gets it right and figures it out because he is the most valuable piece they have they could move. And that's the kind of piece I think brings back a bum garner. That's the kind of
0: deal that I want. At least it's plausible leaving Senzel down to learn a brand new position out, you know, not even on the same going from the dirt to the grass in the outfield there that makes sense that makes a hell of a lot more sense than the garbage we're going to hear about how uh vladimir guerrero uh, <laughs> needs to work on his footwork and, and trash like that, that that can't possibly learn it at the major league level for a fourth place jays team but anyway i don't want to get on a whole rant about that so nick senzel uh pretty rosy outlook here that you got me uh wanting to reconsider or, or maybe talk with you further about this meadows stuff i've always I've always liked meadows a bit though admittedly a lot of box score scouting a lot of uh fan page scouting i have not seen it's a whole bunch dominated. of meadows
2: i want guys in double a single a triple a who are big time prospects to dominate and that that's the thing that i never saw meadows really dominate in any Hel-
0: level. Hel- and spend a consideration too so that that that's a, a plausible point there. That's a very viable point there on Meadows, but we'll see uh, I, I what he's disagree. able to do. I disagree. I
1: love Austin Meadows. I mean, I, like I said, What I is it about Austin I Meadows you love? He can, he can um, contribute in every category. Power, speed, yeah. That's so
2: can Senzel. Funny.
1: But he's already oh, shown just... he's already shown the ability to hit the major league level, and I I love Sen. I like Senzel a lot too. Uh, and I may, I'm probably going to have them right around right around the same spot. I want both guys on my team. I don't. Yeah, think I'm it's... not
0: necessarily one or the other mm-hmm. here. I just to hear you uh, down talk Meadows just stunning. me do you want? Who do you want, really want long term like. in a dynasty
2: if you have the choice between the two? Mm-hmm. See, I think it's Senzel, and I don't have to. Uh, Austin Meadows might be better this year, and and as I said, I think Matt Kemp's going to play a lot more than other people do because. Every year, people keep telling me Matt Kemp is done or washed up or not or completely inconsequential. And every year, I keep drafting him, and every year he keeps driving in 100 runs. So I laugh. I mean, and, yeah, he's healthy. and, he's and I enjoy it now. He's in Cincinnati, and I, I think this is outstanding. But I, I look at it in long term. I think Senzel has far more upside. I think Austin Meadows this year might be the better investment in 2019 See, because I, of clear at bats and less crowded situation where Ed, where Tampa really wants him to play. I,
1: I think there's I think more power. Than you're credit I think there's more power in Senzel's bat. I think he is faster and a better base stealer. The the thing that uh, Senzel has over Meadows is the hit tool. He he's uh, I think Meadows is got a much higher upside. I think Senzel has a much higher floor, and we're talking about extremely high floor. Like if as long as these vertigo issues and, and nagging injury issues. Uh, kind of dissipate over time as we kind of expect them to. Senzel is going to be a like top three-round player every year in fantasy. I just don't know that he is ever going to be a first-round player, and Meadows has that upside. He also has the downside.
0: Okay. Okay. I don't know.
2: First-round they... players, some of your guys who dominated in the minor leagues, and he was never dominant at any level. Not dominant.
0: Well, Nah. Yeah, you, know, you know, it was it was a 45 gamer, but this is 2016 double A was was pretty sexy for uh for Meadows there. But your your point your point's well taken. Your point's was, well taken. There were Inj- other
1: first rounders who weren't dominant guys necessarily in in the minor leagues. I mean, Aaron Judge took a little while to figure it out. Jose Ramirez was not Jose Ramirez in the minor leagues. Lindor was not Lindor in the minor leagues. You know, some of these guys take a little bit of seasoning and and Meadows dealt with some serious like back issues and things like that that have uh, now uh, seemingly resolved themselves. So I think that I understand Joe's thought process. I mean, I look at the eight twenty seven
2: OPS and that doesn't scream to me from the minor leagues that I'm a first round talent. Now, granted, he's he's coming as a high school player, so it's a little different. And you want to say maybe the learning curve and the and the body growth and all that stuff that happens. You know, from 18 to 22 or whatever that that's fair. Where Senzel was a college player, so there's a little bit more, you know, a different buzz there. That I can understand, but I don't know, man. Like, it'll be fun to see. I think that I think that'll be something that 2019 will want to watch. And, and but as I said, but here's my question: You're the Giants guy. Would you take Senzel as that package for Bumgarner? Oh, you rather have that. But
1: there's no way that ever happens. There's no. no there's no way that uh, I, I would give them. They they could have. Uh, they could have Baumgartner, uh, Will Smith, Brandon Bell. Uh, <laughs> just
0: take them all. Take all the mediocre players. Yeah, they could, they
1: could have uh, the city of Oakland. Like, I just like, – You guys could,
0: have to get a, a bet going from the time that Senzel comes up from that point forward, Senzel versus Meadows. Because obviously you can't well, do a full season. And I, that think just Me-
1: I think there's a chance Meadows doesn't start the year in the majors, which is an insane idea. But – uh, oh, that'd be absolutely nuts. But oh that's God. Tampa Bay for you. So
0: if they do that, I swear to God, like that, that just wouldn't it's make like any why
1: sense. Why sign Avi Garcia, uh, Garcia if you're, uh, you know?
0: That was a weird signing, man. I, I usually give them, you know, I I usually lean toward what Tampa Bay does, or at least uh, give no, them the benefit no of the team, doubt before no I go in. No
1: with the service time as much as Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, the two organizations that Meadows has been on.
0: I think I think they overcook prospects at times mm-hmm. well, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great well. point that anyway that's great prospect that is a great point yeah seriously let's uh let's get into some uh, some black book chatter again we had John a couple weeks ago to t- kind of talk about it. hopefully some folks got it in their hands now they can kind of follow along with us but I want to talk a little bit about some auction um strategy and how rpv applies to that and some stuff that you've got planned to discuss auction strategy further uh, joe so take take it away with with using the black book in your auction absolutely well you know
2: i love auction because i love murka and murka is all about everybody you know getting to spend whatever money they want the way they want to spend it i got i don't want to pick 7th i want to pick first well that's great that's what,
0: this guy i, I want
2: like, exactly i like choices all right i like different side dishes I, so what i what i say about auction is especially in dynasty leagues or keeper leagues I, to me that is the that is the most fair way to start any of them. You can't just randomly you know, expect people to get in on a league and say, well, how come that guy has a first pick and that, that person is last pick and all that well, stuff. Where's the option? best way
0: was that um, the, the Rotowire dynasty was, how was RDI. Uh, oh, yeah. Where, they, where you had to bid. Oh, keepers, the Justin, invisible in hand.
1: Yes, it, 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 it has destroyed my team
0: but it it was the most fair way to do it because as Joe says, it's not fair to have a dynasty league where, you know, I just randomly got number one and Joe happened to get 15. Yeah, but it sucks to be you.
1: It's just, it, I want to explain explain the method. So what it is, is everybody in the league, it's almost like KDS, but with, with, uh, you're, you're bidding your keepers. And so you can bid as many keepers on every draft slot as you want, or you could bid none. Uh, but you lose whatever draft slot you end up winning uh, via the most amount of keepers bid, you lose those keepers in the next year's draft. So last year, uh, I bid, I think, 15 keepers on the number two draft slot. Uh, and so I was only able to keep 25 of my 40, while other people who bid zero on all of their draft slots, uh, Got to keep 40. So, like, I. Who'd
0: you get with that? Who are some of the key players that you got with that number two pick? I
1: got Altuve, which, you know, felt great at the time. It should a, still feel great. No, he's he's be great. Well, it should absolutely feel great. I was able to. I, I pretty much decided to rebuild. So, uh, oh, because I wasn't gone. able to keep, you know, two third, or, well, a third of my team. So, um, yeah. I, I, I have traded away virtually everybody of consequence except for maybe Sean Doolittle and, and, and Miguel Sanoa who will b- probably both be on their way out. But uh, I can tell you it is the most fair way to do it. But if I'm if I'm in a dynasty league uh, ever again, I am bidding zero in every draft slot. Well, You're just going to go I mean, ahead. I
2: think that's not task, too, because you want to keep a competitive balance of a league, too. And people have different amounts of keepers. It gets wacky and who's allowed to do that. If you're just starting out with your 260 or whatever it is you decide on, however deep that league is, <clears throat> that's the way you start. And, and you know, it's when you get into the black book and the auction stuff, everybody, the first thing that, that shocks them is like, well, where's the prices for the players? And I'm like, yeah. well, that doesn't matter. You can go find generic pricing. They're all going to be within a couple bucks of each other. That means nothing.
0: But prices not very Prices is useful. not
2: a strategy. Well, that's one thing. People think. People look at it as a strategy and I'm like, no, 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 that's not a strategy for auctions. That is just merely a guideline. I got a piece coming out on Fantrax too, where I did this and I, I talked about this and you know, <clears throat> there's some things that if you want to do a strategy, this is what you do. You, you go out there and you take some of those dollar amounts and players and you start plugging in some projected points and you start doing the totals. If this is a five by five roto, you start doing the totals of these projected points and then you compare it to your league. Like I compare it in this piece I did to tout wars and say, okay, what are the thresholds you need? to be competitive in these certain uh, categories in order to win. And when you start to do that you move the salaries around, you see why it's good to invest in this player or that player. And if you can't get them, then it's the pivot. And I call them dummy rosters. And what you do is you make up a couple of these dummy rosters with players who have this stat profile. And then you make a list of those other players that are near some of those guys who have similar statistical profiles, but maybe more or less. And then you have all of a sudden names at each position that you really need to target. And then auction because much easier because we all know there'll be some people in some auctions that really high on certain players and they'll overbid or push them up. And then other drafts where you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe that guy felt to me. And I think that's, that's a situation to me where I, I think it, it changes everything in your perspective. It's not about the dollar amounts. It's about what kind of stats can I get? in that range of pricing of those kinds mm-hmm. of player profiles of certain players, like, you know, like a Will Myers, who's a, you know, a 25, 25 guy. And yeah, he's going to kill you on batting average, but he's going to, you know, help you in power and speed. And, and I think that's, I'm very big on the hypothetical rosters. And when that does, it starts to train you of looking for stat profiles more than names necessarily. Yeah. And then if you want to overpay, because you think that guy's a really good bet for that profile, well, hell, then you do it. So I think that's step. Number one, uh, I also am a big fan of never nominating a player you want early in a draft, especially if, like oh, the first okay. hour or two.
0: I'm talk, a big fan of about that. that a bit.
2: Well, because in my opinion, every time you pull just one single dollar out of the draft room, that is a, that is going to put you in a better scenario as the draft goes on later on of you to be able to throw that second dollar or third dollar hammer when people are out of money. Mm-hmm. And then you can make some great buys there. Towards the end of the draft, when you – I always make sure that all of my numbers in my spreadsheet in an auction are all twos for my bench because then I have the hammer. So I know later on when somebody brings up a guy and I like them, I can throw two bucks and maybe got nobody else too. has three.
0: Yeah. And I
2: got that too. That little stupid hammer where I can throw that over and over and over again, it makes a big difference. So by nominating players you don't like early on in the draft or controversial ones or whatever you know you're not going to want to pay for. That's something where, you know, that's one more person who just spent 40 bucks on a player that you don't like or something like that. That's one less person to fight over players. And I'm not saying you do that all time, but I think doing it early on is a great way to draw money out of the room early and then kind of get rid of some competition for the players you do like.
1: I think one of the things I like to do in terms of nominating is when I'm looking at a cluster of guys, for instance, like last year in uh, tout head to head there. There were four starting pitchers who were all kind of the, the aces sale, Kershaw, uh, Kluber and Scherzer. Um, and I threw out one because I wanted to set the market because I knew I wanted to get at least one of those. And I wanted to, I wanted to be able to real quickly go, okay, well, this guy just went for 50 bucks that I know that is the range in which the other three are going to go. I never want to. Well, I agree with Joe that I, I like to throw out guys that I don't want early to kind of get a little bit of money out of the room. You never want to wait until the end because then people get desperate, and you don't want you don't you don't want your guy to be the last guy of a tear thrown out because people that's, that's a what good call too will really overpay because they go, oh my god, well Sale is the last of these four, and I need I need one of these four aces, and that's what happened at at tout is sale was the last of the four uh, thrown out and he went for $5 more than I got Scherzer for
2: Well, there. There's the ebb and flow too. sometimes the first guy in the high tier or something is actually the the best value. He could be the the cheapest one because people are hesitant a little bit. You got to know the room that that helps too. But there is that ebb and flow where where all of a sudden it does then peak or then all of a sudden when the, that tier is going down. Well, okay, well you got to figure out how to, Do I want to overpay just to get that? Or am I happy with this next grouping? And that's why RPV is so helpful and relative position value. It's not just about those tiers, but it's about quantifying. So, you know, especially it's not even how much to spend sometimes or how much not to spend, you know, not spending on players that are negative anyway. Why am I wasting my money on catcher when it's not going to help me? Why am I wasting my money when all the good second basemen are gone? Because it's not going to matter. Go get guys that matter. And can be positive influences on the roster, and if you could do that consistently, that's better return on investment. And that's to me that see auction to me is is the best because it is that chess game. It yes. is that thing where everybody's knowledge is out there, and more so everyone's philosophy. The problem with snake that I have, and we all do snake draft. I mean, come on, that's that's a ninety percent of what it is. But the snake draft. Once you're locked into a slot, you're basically looking at a range of players. You have to take what the draft gives yeah, you're you. You're taking know, what the just draft don't gives you. have autonomy. Yep. And if you overpay for somebody that you know a round or two too early, then you're passing on other guys, and it becomes very dangerous. If it basically locks you into a thinking, which I think kind of sucks. Whereas, you know, you, me, Paul, everybody here who can, you know, I was all prepared, very knowledgeable. Yeah, the draft is maybe an extra hour or two longer, but who cares? I mean, we spend hours and months day, preparing for a freaking Right. You spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks preparing and then the draft is over in two and a half, three hours. Well, screw it. Let's make a day of it. It's gonna be great.
0: Well no, I, I, one I of the things totally that Joe that.
1: just said that I think is really important and one of the reasons like in the Friends of Fancy Benefits draft guide, I didn't put auction values in there either, to the chagrin of one uh one star review. Uh no, you guys
0: you guys did the right things there. Dude, I, I it's Go ahead. And
1: you need to know your league because every league is different and every yeah. auction is different and I think people get kind of caught up uh, and there are a lot of people out there that are, are very strict to their bid limits and they go well this guy's only worth $15 so if I'm not like spending that. more than $15 and I get that and if that's the way you want to play then fine. Go get you know, one of the guys out there that that releases their auction bid numbers uh, and use their and stick to it. But the way i play in an auction is i'm much more fluid and i want to play the room and so for instance like nl only tout uh this year I- i'm a new participant but i'm the only new participant and so i'm spending all week this week going through the last six drafts and or six auctions for nl only tout oh, and i'm yeah. making Ooh. a
2: profile
0: on each person oh because like, like scott that.
2: angle and i've been mi- mixed with him mm-hmm. you know years he will always overpay on mats the yep. first thing I can always do is get in a bidding war with him over
1: a Mets and then back does, out. You, Lenny Melnick is going no to yeah punt saves and, and he's like, going to throw them all
0: out too. Mm-hmm. He's going to he's going to bid them out and but so never buy them.
1: You need to know who you're playing against. And while it, and I think the majority of listeners are either playing in home leagues or or they're playing with people they've played before, you should have a profile and know. who because yeah. we we all do that for snake drafts. When I'm when Paul and I are drafting against each other, you don't think we know when we're popping on certain people, when we're going to mm-hmm. pull the trigger on Garrett Hampson, or and we're not planning for that. We all do it in our minds for snake drafts. But for some reason, in auctions, people kind of forget that you need to know who you're drafting against. Can well, I just totally say, totally agree
2: with that. Uh, I'm I'm a bit of a jerk when it comes to auctions too, because well, when the player in the life middle, in general. well, I just like generally, well, yeah. uh, clearly. But I think that – and you know what? People don't like it. Screw them. It's the rules, so I'm going to use the rules to my benefit. I like to wait, you know, especially when we get to those middle rounds too. If there's a player that gets nominated that I like, I'm going to wait, and I'm not going to bid on them until I get that going once, going twice. When I get that going twice, then I'm going to come in on the bidding because why in God's name would I start artificially moving up the bidding on a player I like by a dollar here and a dollar there because it all adds up, and that's the thing that always drives me crazy. And the other thing it does, it's kind of like a poker game because the other person standing across, when they hear going twice, they think they've got that player. Oh, yeah. And then when you scoop in there, there's this weird rush. It's like this adrenaline rush where they go, oh, and then you got to think and and you make them reevaluate how much they want to go. And I will do that with frequency and people who play auction like Tim Heaney, my buddy, he knows he knows well enough on a player I like that I'm going to wait until going twice. And he knows when to get in a pissing match with me and when not to. And that is to me something that's the little nuances of auction are so great and there's so much fun and they really test your, your knowledge, your philosophies on, on the format you're playing in. And it also kind of tests you as a human being, which I think is really cool too. And I, I think auction is just the most fun. I love yeah, it.
1: I got to write this I, down. I, Don't invite Joe to next auction. <laughs> hey, I like Matt. that both of you, it's the rules them- you
2: can bid on going twice. So why wouldn't I bid on going twice? Exactly.
1: It's a jerk thing to do. It
2: is a jerk thing to do. And it makes you mad. It throws you off your game and it puts me in control of the board.
0: I like that. Uh, both of you didn't put in the dollar values. I just, you know, I, res- I respect that some magazines do it and stuff. They're, right, I'm not saying they're, they're bad. Not, I'm saying they're, they're it's just not, not a strategy. Valuable, People
2: though. say, "Do you have auction strategy?" And I say, "Yes." And they'll say, "Well, where are the their dollar amounts?" And I'm like, "No, no,
0: no. That's, that's not, not a strategy. Yeah, exactly.
2: No, that's a guideline. And that's I'd fun. rather
0: go in between the two. I'd rather someone just dead follow ADP than dead follow mag projections or uh, dollar values. Well, you, you it's gotta be ready, against the mag I'm, question. It's it's because you you don't know where that room's going to go, and if you are just deadlocked on a set of dollar projections, you could either super overbid or completely lose out on on all the top tier talent.
1: And, town. and I, I mean, for instance, like I used to play in a in an AL only keeper league, and the if I'd gone by the average dollar projections that were out there, I would never have gotten a closer because closers always you win might for never more. get a player. In yeah, some, in some
2: drafts, and, and that's the or thing. You may, those people... Or you
1: may end up with a you know team in which you have all like you know eleven dollar players because that's all who's left. Mm. And you you want to get screwed at the end of an auction? Stick religiously to auction values you haven't come up with. It's stay
2: Bingo. stay flexible. It's like every other draft. Stay flexible and don't be that auction draft owner too who is keep hoarding all their money. You can't take it with you. These people at the end of auction drafts, we've got 10, 12 bucks left over. I laugh at them. I'm like, what are you doing? It's one thing to have enough money in each slot in your little spreadsheet where you know, as, you, as it adds up to 260, all bunch of twos that you could throw the hammer on until you can't throw it and take some of those, those extra dollars when you need them and move them up when you're bidding on a player. If you need to pull from the bench, you do that. And the hammer is nice to have. It's a good thing to do, but it's not worth losing Jose Altuve or, you know, Mike Trout or whatever it is. That's just dumb. And price and force, even if it's a player you don't necessarily need, I always would price and force because I I learned this lesson the hard way one year. JD Martinez coming off an injury was was at nine bucks for Fred Zinke. And I had a lot of outfielders at the time. I was like, ah, I really don't need to do this, but I should. And wouldn't you know it, like JD Martinez goes off that year and it becomes probably the best buy of the entire draft. And I had just thrown that dollar. I knew Fred couldn't go past that. And I kicked myself that entire season for it because I knew price enforcing there was good, not only good for me, but good for the whole league. And I didn't do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Just be careful with price enforcing because I, I think. For, for for guys like us who've done a lot of auctions and feel really comfortable in auctions, we, we can price and force, especially when we really know the room. But if you don't know your competition well, don't you don't get, get bought. yeah, don't get caught. Well, don't price
2: and force on yeah. questionable players. Price and force on guys who you you wouldn't mind having on your fine team. Fine, Well, this goes exactly. back to that whole concept of drafting is about finding roster strength. Drafting is not about filling all the spots on your team first. <laughs> like you know, mm-hmm. I don't have a shortstop. I don't have a no. Get, build strength. Build something that you're good at on your roster. That way, you can dominate from somewhere. It's not always about filling the position so much as about how much strength can you build on your roster. There's always trades later on
0: if need be, but sometimes you don't have to do that even if you know how to build roster strength properly. No, that that that's a great call. Uh, I do want to transition into another topic here that uh, is mentioned in the Black Book, and I think it's very valuable about being the commish there's a whole chapter on it chapter 15 is about being the commissioner (laughs) (laughs) don't do it might be the best answer but sometimes the the leagues need somebody to step up and you know maybe it's a little arrogant to say but i feel like people that listen to this show might be well equipped to do so i feel like we got a we got we got a pretty sharp audience is what i'm saying i think a lot of the folks who do listen to to our stuff and 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 uh, you know, listen to the Black Book and you're read the book. Are just trying to make
1: book. up from the last episode when you called, when we called them really idiots? stupid? No, no,
0: no. <laughs> Still idiots, but uh, a higher caliber of idiot. No, <laughs> but uh, you know, you might have to step up and do it, or you might already do it. But there are things that you should be accustomed to um, and, and consider if you don't already. First off, the one I love you for, please, uh, God, Joe, you're the best. Say <laughs> no to vetoes. Say no to uh, vetoes. You're a clown if you have a veto system. Any, any excuse i've ever heard for a veto system is just a convoluted way of saying i want to have power or i i have sour grapes there is no other reason have vetoes for collusion and if you suspect collusion cut them kick them out of the league immediately that's it that's it and that's all there is no other reason to have vetoes i'm sorry i i'm Oh, deadlocked on this one this is i have no flexibility here because i have the right answer vetoes are sour right. no one ever votes in anything but their own interest and you're just impressing your values on other people if i if but i was I re- a
1: really good producer right now i'd be putting in some drops of like applause or or <laughs> you know, someone yelling preach yeah. from the back of a if, church or something like that F. yeah hallelujah if, if, yeah
2: hallelujah But but really, it's nothing kills more great football and baseball leagues than vetoes, because you're exactly right. It's it's somebody else's sour grapes. It's also somebody else's tainted perspective or jealousy or 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 whatever you want to call it. And there's just no reason to do that. There might be some owners in your league that are more informed than the others. Or how many times have we seen a deal that, wow, that kind of looks like it's one sided and then that player gets hurt or something else happens. And all of a sudden it turns around baseball is a crazy game and all sports are like that you know unless it's a clear collusion where you have somebody who's out of it and sending all these players up to the top in which case you don't invite either owner back you get rid of them immediately and you send a message to everybody else the no vetoes thing is so no, such a no-brainer and i can't tell you and and the worst part is too there's some websites out there that try to make money off like judging trades yeah and get they, out of here. i'm like and you know what's funny i know one of the guys who runs them and I left his league years ago because he ran trades with his father, where his father used to funnel him players every year and help him win. So that's, that's the dude rich. Who's judging your that's league. Just, rich. So, so keep that in mind, everybody. That's the dude running the judgment sites. Okay, like it's it's <laughs> not something you need to get involved in. It's a lot of a lot of trades have to do with need and are in the, of the beholder and who likes players and talent and all that stuff. Yep. Vetoes can do nothing but ruin a good league and ruin friendships. Just don't do it. You
1: know what vetoes are? Vitor, vetoes are you telling someone else that you're smarter than them and they don't yep. know what they're
2: doing. Well, I don't know if you want to say that cause it that's is something because that's I love to say. No, I'm I'm a joke. It's a joke. Uh,
1: I, but that's <laughs> the thing. Like, people are like, well, we're protecting people. No, you're no, saying – you're telling no, you're not. them <laughs> that you're smarter well, than you're them. You're a pompous a-hole. Then, yeah, that they are. don't exactly. know what they're doing. And I'm sorry if you were that good, you'd be hosting this show or, or doing something else uh, with your life. Uh, you'd be in Vegas or, or, or winning the NFBC main event. So you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Stop vetoing people's trades.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I can't stand it. But that, I, I want to get that rant out because I'm always down to crap on vetoes because they're garbage. They're absolutely worthless. But give some other, let's talk about some of the other tips that you have for being a commission yeah. and what can make a good commission a league because it is, it's an, um, what's Under the word I'm looking topic? for? topic? Well, yeah, but uh, what's, what's, I'm trying to think of the word for, uh, you know, it's, uh, unheralded I'm, I'm very handsome. No, no, you um, are, you are, but I'm rewarded. trying to say, yeah, it's, it's, you know, you don't oh, get a oh, lot of underwar- Oh, it's completely, yeah. uh, un, uh, you know, it's nobody's it's like integral, giving it's you absolutely credit. integral right. to a good league. So I, I want to talk more about it. So give some of the other tips here and we'll discuss them as well. What, what do you, what do well, you got in the, in the black book? See, this is why I
2: like, I always put this chapter in and I, and I revise it every year in some fashion. And I, I had stuff to it this year. Um, because my home league was getting stale. So we, we changed some stuff around last year and I'm, um, the, there was a part in it about, Hey, don't be afraid to change things up and say to everybody, Hey, this league's getting stale. People are waiting a little bit in terms of their, their, you know, interest or excitement about it. Don't be afraid to change things. But yeah, it's, it's, um, uh, it's a thankless job. I think that's thankless
0: what, job. That's there you it. go. It's Thank a
2: thankless you. job, but also this is why I like putting this in the black book because it's not just about draft. It, let's give somebody you know, for 15 bucks or whatever on Amazon that they can have something that's going to take them through the entire seasons because it's got stuff about making trades and how to operate, which we talked last time. It's got stuff about being the commissioner. It's got more than just draft prep. It's got all the prospects. So as people come up, it's all in there for you. But really, to, to me, there's a couple of things you need to commit to. You have to understand that the league has to always come first before your team, and that sucks. So when you make decisions or you make things, you have to realize that even though you might pay the same to be in the league as everybody else, you have to be so above board and it's hard yep. to do. It's it's really difficult and it's not always fun. Uh, I, I think that that's how you – I like to call uh, – when you it's a benevolent dictatorship. You have to be the person who's making the decisions <laughs> call. for the good of the league. And I even use that verbiage in there. I think I actually use the benevolent dictatorship because you have to try to think of, okay, this is what's best for the league. And I know it's going to annoy some people and, and make other people happy or whatever. But really this is the best fashion – to run said league and, and understand that it's not a democracy necessarily putting up everything for a freaking vote is annoying because then you got everybody bitching about stuff you yeah. just lay out stuff and say this is what we're gonna do blah 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 and then if people have a problem with it let them talk to you separately and don't get in these email chains and, about stuff and pull pe- them off to people the side. are
1: gonna vote for what's best for their team not what's best hey. for the league exactly right.
2: oh and on the other thing too and this isn't an in there maybe for next year Anytime a commissioner changes the rules after a draft in some fashion.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say that
2: that that's going to be a next year's. I think that, that is, is the, the one
0: thing that needs universal. If you do want to do something like that and everyone agrees, OK, for the draft. but otherwise you cannot if, if you if you're changing anything after the draft. It has to be 100 percent. It can't be 90 percent. Can't be 95. It has to be 100 percent. Everyone says, yeah, we should have done that. Let's go ahead and do that. It didn't affect the draft. Otherwise, I think commissioners can make unilateral decisions before the season. You know, say, hey, we're changing this scoring here. So we shouldn't have the
1: DH in the NL at the all-star break.
0: Right. It's well, you can't, you can't you say, oh, man, I drafted a bunch
2: of stolen base guys. I think stolen bases should be stolen five. Bases
0: now. Are, uh, ten <laughs> points now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But like, um, you know, a non-keeper league, and, and we're saying, hey, we're we're taking strikeouts from from two to one point, and you know, it affects everyone the same. So it's it's not something that necessarily needs a vote. There might be somebody who say, ah, I don't like that. You can give your reasoning, but I agree. Not everything needs to be put up and, for a and a pay for- out everybody early. Like on time, at the
2: end of the year, be prepared to, if you're in charge of the, and I know some of like Fantrax has a system now where it pays out and people use League Safe or other things where it makes it a lot easier. Yes. But if you're still one of these people who, you know, well, a lot of people do, they move money back and forth between leagues. Be prepared as the commissioner to pay people out right away. It's amazing how much good faith you get from people in your league when, when the season's over and you announce the champion, you do all your payouts that day. I, I can't tell you, it's a simple thing. And yeah, it's a lot of work for that one night or whatever it is that you're doing it, but do it. You know, there's little things like that where, it, it's like I said, it's a thankless job. It's one of those things where you're going to do a lot of extra work, but find find ways to make the league exciting and fun. Add good people. Add people who are really good and challenge yourself too. It's nothing worse than you know a commissioner who, when someone leaves a league and they add some other goofball who has no idea what they're doing because they know that they're fresh meat, man. When people left my, my home league, I added uh, John McKechnie from Roto-Wire. I added Chris Meany to my league. Oh. And uh, and a couple other of my really good listeners over the years who, no doubt. who are super smart. And one of them kicked my ass in the playoffs in the in the division round this year. And awesome. Like, that's great. Like, nothing – if I was – like a, if this was me 15 years ago and I was playing in a league with somebody who I listened to on the radio or read their books or something, and I beat them in the playoffs, I didn't even care if I won the World Series. That would be it for me. I'd be so excited – just from that. And that's the thing, man, you, you want to beat the best competition. It's not, if you're trying to play for easy money, then you're not doing it right.
0: No, I, I definitely agree with, with all of that. And, um, you know, getting those payouts, definitely an area of opportunity for me as a commissioner. Yeah. You know, I just take lavish trips with it. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what happened. But, uh, <laughs> but it's funny. Uh, like
2: how often do people get lazy about it?
0: No, and then exactly. A couple weeks Is, later. Or like, oh yeah, I forgot. But you're he right. Prepared. When you, you know, you get get everything set up. October first hits, Bing, bang, boom. Well, PayPal's and know your league,
2: know your league mates too. Like I, I, you you heard some of the people that I talked about, right? We all cover football too. I made a choice this year in my home league that I'm the that's the only one I'm commissioner for because it's that's it. One league that's enough to be commissioner for. You're nuts if you do more than that, I think. But I I made a deal with everybody I said, look, you know. September 1st, we're going to wrap everything up. Playoffs will be done by September 1st, so everybody can focus on football. And September call-ups are ruining baseball anyway. Championships shouldn't be decided because there's 12,000 guys oh, pitching.
0: So you get rid of September. That's very interesting.
2: We got rid of September completely. We have six weeks of playoffs. And everybody basically I – mean, actually, no one was negative. Everybody said, that's awesome. That's a great idea because it's a league full of people who love baseball and football. So, therefore, I'm not dragging into September where I'm going to get people – paying less attention or people who are kind of half in it or annoyed because guys go in the DL and there's no replacements, you know, guys go, it's, you know, why, why are there 5,000 pitchers? Up? <laughs> you know, all these roster expansions and stuff. It's crazy. September is not a time to decide championships anymore and not in points leagues anyway.
0: No, it can definitely be frustrating that we play a completely different game. Um, and I, I, for the life of me, still don't understand why that is uh, what baseball has chosen to do. we'll, we'll have so, to bring
2: it up on the next – on the uh, – Yeah. oh, that I
0: mean that's obviously going I to be I can't believe how many dunk. people are hot for that. Like I've oh, gotten so many messages. got some really good uh, interest in that. So I'm very excited to do that. Uh, that is a good point to end this one here and, and, and preview the fact that we are going to be doing that one. Like I said, it's going to be uh, early into the season because that's when yeah, we don't have a whole lot of to talk season. about. You know, we have such small numbers. We're all excited that the games are here, but we're not going to analyze and tell you to cut guys based on these tiny, wait, wait, tiny. Wait, wait.
1: We're not. We're not all picking up Ian Happ because he hit the first pitch of the well, season. No, no, out. You de-
0: definitely get him because that oh, means he's that, good. Yeah, that yeah. means the pick that you made. No, Tyler White's correct.
1: Well, I mean, exactly. we'll we'll have a whole series of games to analyze because of the Japan series.
0: Is it a whole series or is it two? Two games.
1: <laughs> it's yeah. <a> Swapping <laughs> game two games. Let's that falls on my anniversary, which is not cool.
0: Well, it's sucks, not sucks. real opening day anyway. Sorry,
1: so. sorry it's babe. Not,
0: it's not real opening day. Well, I mean, can't you, you know, spend time with it's, her? It's and have only everything our 10th
1: get- anniversary. It's not like a big one, right?
0: I don't know, but then don't, don't you get everything situated, get her to bed, and all that, and uh, and then the games are on, aren't they? I'll on see. and like, it's, hey baby, it's Japan, right? I, yeah, I it's I'm, gonna put put it on,
1: I'm gonna put on some mu- m- uh, mood music, and uh, you know, let's watch the A's and the Mariners play while we, you know,
0: we watch the pregame in bed, mm-hmm. or no, you, you do your thing, then you turn on the pregame. She falls asleep instantly. She's not trying to hear. Oh, uh, yeah. the, I mean, and we'll be oh, breakdown of the it, game, well, and
1: then boom, we'll be done pre-game. before the end of the first inning, right?
0: It's perfect. The, the traditional one
2: is uh, tin or aluminum. That is the 10th year anniversary mm. gift. So I oh. was just looking at that. So maybe get aluminum bat for her She or will
1: probably <gasps> can me at the end of it. <laughs> get,
0: get her a nice TPX bat. That's a great idea. Uh, there you
2: go. A little TPX action there for you. A little Eastern, eh? <laughs> all
0: right. Well, Joe, appreciate having you on. Like I said, going to have you on for a third time this season and not too far from now, about about two months' time. Uh, tell us again where we can get the Black Book and, and you know, run down a few of the, the key points of what we're getting that we did discuss on the first one, but those that maybe didn't hear that. The whoring, well,
2: that we're whoring away. Oh, absolutely. There you go. I, a doubt, absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody who also went out there last time and, and purchased it from the last one. I got a lot of nice Twitter messages and people who bought it after the last spot and really enjoyed it. So I want to thank all those people out there. But uh, if you want to see all Paul's starting pitcher profiles, if you want to see some hundred prospects with profiles, not a list, not just a list, but we're talking profiles and breakdowns and ETAs and all that stuff, a hundred deep. If you want to see, you know, real strategy for with relative position value and understand, you know, how to adjust for format to format league depth to league depth, instead of just these stupid lists that people put out there. That's what the black book is. And you can get the fantasy baseball black book 2019 on Amazon. You can get it for Kindle or for paperbacks. I send you a nice hard copy with the nice paper you can write on and highlight, not nice. magazine paper, which everybody seems to like. You can get it on iTunes as well. Besides Paul, you got big Sealy. You got Tim Heaney. You got Nate Dawkins. Eric cross and myself. It's a, it's a great group of people who have a lot of passion for the game. And I think it comes through and I think it's a, I think it's a great guide because it's, it's something that's unique. It gives you a perspective and I think it's applicable and anything that you can apply, especially in different formats, cause we all play different formats and it's, you know, value is relative to the format you're playing in more to the player's talent. And I think that's what separates it. And that's why, uh, we keep uh, crushing it. That's why we beat Harry Potter the other day. We're higher on fantasy sports than the Quidditch. Can't no, beat that.
0: I, I agree. I do think that uh, obviously I've been, I've been a part of it now for a few years. What we're doing, it, it does give you something tangible to take into your drafts here. It's not not just your run-of-the-mill stuff. So I think that uh, if you if you want to succeed – the black books got you covered so uh joe thank you so much justin thanks for uh, joining us it was touch and go there we weren't sure if you're gonna make it so glad to have you on and guys talk to you both later